Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in once again. We had a good conversation with Daniel. He's an exercise physiologist from Australia, and we talked a lot about rehab, a general coaching, motivational interviewing, and more. So I hope you enjoy. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I am an exercise physiologist. I think the term is kinesiologist in Canada and also exercise physiologist in the States. Uh, so four years of uni, basically learning very similar subjects as to a, a physiotherapist or a physical therapist. Um, and I deal with uh, mainly people with chronic conditions, chronic disease. So we bridge the gap between the kind of trainer and the, the acute care in physio or physical therapy. Um, yeah, see a wide variety of people um, with all sorts of conditions. So dealing mainly with people experiencing pain for a long time um, who have failed the traditional rehab um, and yeah, so I work in a private gym, private clinic at the moment as well. I am mentoring a lot of professionals. So through the knowledge exchange where we look at instilling the, the coaching perspective to other clinicians, which is completely different, a bit of a paradigm shift to what we're taught in uni. So that's always a, a fun challenge to help people guide people through that process. So how does your current workload look like with all of this Corona? Are you doing, I know you're doing telehealth, right? Appointments. So how does that look like? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been an interesting change. We've all had to adapt really quickly. I think I, I was lucky that I was able to pre-frame a few of the expectations uh, three weeks ago or so from now. I don't quite remember. But having that, um, so managing people's expectations that it's going to be like uh, video consulting in the future um, was really helpful. And I got most people on board. Now the the... I guess the struggle for everyone is getting some new business or new clients. Yeah. So existing clientele is pretty easy to, to, to show the value. Uh, for now, it's, it's a bit difficult to get um, newbies in and, and get them to buy into the process of speaking through a, a camera, doing exercises, yeah. like <laughs> talking yeah. in front of a computer, in front of their family with their kids running around in the background. <laughs> Something so the, they're not used to, right? Exactly. So showing them that value has been um, a challenge, but... So far, so good. Ups and downs along the journey. Haven't been affected too much, luckily. I'm pretty lucky where I am. That's great. What are some of the most common like types of clients that you work with? We know it's, like, it's between coaching and the acute stage of rehab, but what's like the, the most common things that you see at your work? Yeah, sure. So we get generally the people that have uh, doctor's orders to lose weight. So we get people with diabetes, people with chronic uh, heart disease, uh, people with uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, so any of the medical conditions that a GP would be like, this this person needs to lose weight, and that's a um, that's like an immediate intervention. So we get people through our healthcare system, Medicare, uh, generally maximum of five visits. So we have five twenty-minute appointments to get them to change their entire lifestyle, which is always interesting and fun. Damn. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's, that's that side. And then the other side I'd get is generally people who have uh, come out of the acute care and are looking for the long-term 
rehab. So whether that's late stage musculoskeletal rehab or they've had chronic pain all their life and they've seen already all the physios, osteos, chiros in the world. And they're like, you're my last hope right now before surgery. So those are the mm. kind of two extremes that I, I float so between. We know that like, like five, uh, only five visits to try and change their like complete lifestyle is like in stuff because even yeah, <laughs> close to impossible really. But because we know how difficult uh, it is to achieve like to change behavior. So how do you help your clients uh, to achieve that healthy behavior change? Yeah. So the biggest skill I've learned in the past few years has been motivational interviewing. So the concept is. We are the coach, we are the guide, we're not the fixer. We might have the training that, you know, we could give all the advice, the perfect exercise plan to someone and they won't do it. Or they're, they're, we're talking through our lens, we're not talking through their motivations. So I get people that, for instance, come in with the, they're just like, uh, I ask them, why are they here? They say, because my doctor told me so. Oh, cool, so, so why are you here? So having to reflect back on what they want and their motivations, they might want to lose weight for aesthetic reasons. They might want to lose weight because they looked a bit better in a particular dress that they wore years ago. So helping someone see the motivations themselves can lead them on to nudge them towards their behavior change. In the end, five sessions is not going to do jack shit. And I can see yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. do jack shit regardless of how motivated they are. So, yeah. I mean, because we see like, even with like, quote unquote, lifelong clients or clients that have been, for example, one or two years, they still can't get to manage to actually achieve that behavior change that's so much needed. Exactly. So yeah. So it's, it, it works regardless of your, your level of laziness or motivation. You still need to install the, the motivations that they have for themselves rather than us telling them, oh, this is how you do it. Or these are all the benefits. Like, aren't, can't you see all the benefits mm -hmm. of this? Like, aren't you motivated by your health? People aren't motivated by their health. Who, yeah, which of us were motivated to go to the gym because of their health? Mm -hmm. No, we exactly. want to press chicks and, and look swole, right? So, exactly. so same thing for, for clients. They're not motivated to lose weight just because of their, their medical health. Yeah, like they have, they gotta have like a real reason behind, like like a why. Because I think everybody in, that is alive knows that exercise and eating healthy and all of that. Like they know what it does for them. They just don't have a why. Exactly. So diving into the main reasons, the the deeper motivations behind why they want to do it is is the first first step. And I think if if you got twenty minutes and you get that. And they leave away with knowing, oh, that's actually the, the real reasons why I want to change. That's more of a motivating factor for them than just giving them a plan in 20 minutes. It's like, it's not really specific yeah. to their own intrinsic motivation. So let's say somebody has very low motivation or you can't figure out what their true goals are. Does that change your exercise plan that you're going to give to them? And if so, how? Yeah, so I think... My answer would have been different a couple of years ago. For So I guess I used to jump into the whole exercise prescription, um, you know, just something simple to give them. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, it's more along the lines of people kind of know roughly what to do. 
-hmm. people know their own schedules better than I do. I don't know. I can't guess their preferences for exercise. They might hate lifting heavy or they might hate lifting, uh, you know, barbells and dumbbells. They prefer doing functional, whatever that means to them. <laughs> they prefer, they prefer walking because it's more of a stress relief to get out of the house. They don't want to do anything in the house. So if I, if I start rushing to my own conclusions mm -hmm. for what they should be doing or what I think they want to do, that misses the entire boat. And I forget that, you know, they're a person, they have their own motivations. They have, they, they have an idea already. My job is to elicit that idea. Yep. Right. It, it, in fact, it just becomes like ineffective in its own way because you despise it towards your own liking towards what they are. Which um, makes me feel great. Uh, I love that. <laughs> so, like, so that's something that I've been learning over the past like couple of years is where the more you start learning, the less you start correcting, the less you start prescribing. And it seems like you're down the same route as us is where you, you, you give like a loose recommendation. Maybe it's just the guidelines, the weekly activity guidelines. But where is that line where you might feel like they don't have enough direction or it, it, there's too much direction? Yeah. So if they don't, I feel like there's some information that they're missing or that they just haven't been aware of or told. Mm -hmm. I would try to, I would ask for permission. First of all, would you be open to knowing a bit more about this? Cause mm -hmm. it seems like you've been caught in this cycle for a few years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd be open to, to know about the guidelines. Um, then if they have a bit, even on the other side, they they've been Googling it all the time. They they've been looking at some guru, that pops up first, first result on, on Google, which is always helpful. And then they're looking at, you know, fasting before exercise, making sure they don't have any carbs like before and, and all the rules. And they're like, Holy shit, this person is overwhelmed with information. This is on the other side of the scale. So how can I kind of elicit and ask them, Hey, what have you tried so far from this? And what are you willing to do from all the information versus just adding on top yeah. my guidelines? Mm -hmm. awesome. do, do you have a lot of clients that come with like these common misconceptions in the health and fitness industry about, uh, Oh, like I'm having some pain. It means that I'm broken or there's something wrong with me. And if you do, how do you address that conversation? Yeah. So all the time, I think the, you know, the ideal client is a blank slate, right? That we can just, they're already ready for change they trust us already. They're like, just, just tell me everything. Just, I want to, I want to know. Most of the time they already have an own, their own idea, especially if they've been experiencing pain for a long time, they have their own story. So my, my approach is to find out what that story is and help them make sense of all the, the, the stuff that they've done. So they've, they've like got an entire kind of, all these thoughts, emotions and experiences and understandings. And I'm trying to kind of funnel it into some coherent um, solution or some, some kind of way that they can, they can make sense. They can understand. They can be like, Oh, you're right. I've been caught in a cycle or, Oh, you're right. All these things I've been doing hasn't been helpful. Otherwise I wouldn't be here right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. We, we typically have a lot of practitioners on and they talk about basically what we're talking about now. And they mentioned that their intake process is about 20 to 30 minutes of, of just them sitting down and getting to know each other. But I believe you just mentioned that you get five sessions of 20 minutes. How do you fit it all into one session? 
I talk really fast. <laughs> um, the, the ideas, I still respect the, the order. I think initially I would kind of manage their expectations and, and say from the start, we have 20 minutes to, to make the most of today's session. What would you like to take away from today? What would be most valuable? So after, you know, the initial greetings, maybe I don't go into their, you know, their childhood story, but, <laughs> but trying to elicit some kind of rapport at the start and then opening up with that question so that they, it sets the scene for these, the sense of, you know, 20 minutes as a, as a limit. Afterwards as well, allowing them to, to reach out if they need to through email, through call. Um, so knowing that I'm, that the, the care doesn't end after 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that, so does that entail what your job is? Or are you going outside of your job to have this outside communication? Like what is your, how does your scope work? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's up to each practitioner. Okay. Um, I do tend to like to follow up because I like more of that lifestyle coach mm -hmm. uh, mentality versus, you know, the clinician that, you know, says after five, I'm done. I'm not going to talk to anyone. I'm not going to help any more people. So I've, I've been now looking for ways and actually I've been listening to your podcast. There's been a lot of people who have done online training, which has been useful to find out some systems for continuing that edu the education process, mm -hmm. continuing that community building process so that people always have that uh, ability to reach out. Um, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not, you know, a whole team of people. So having a community helps where they can just ask people within that community after the, the session is over so they can continue on with finding out more information. Yeah. I remember I was chatting with you either last week or some other day and you, you, you mentioned uh, something about acceptance and commitment therapy principles. Could you elaborate on that and how do you apply them to your daily practicing with your clients? Absolutely. So it's, it's quite a paradigm shift. Um, the whole kind of psychologically informed practice and psychologically informed coaching I think if I were to summarize the main practical takeaways from ACT, by the way, call it ACT, don't call it acceptance and commitment therapy. Because oh, really? if, cause if um, you say that, they're like, oh, we know it's, yeah. you don't actually know what ACT is. It's like, yeah, it's exactly. like an yeah. thing. Yeah, so the whole point is for them to act on what they value, hence the, the ACT acronym. So finding out, like you said, the person's whys, mm -hmm. their values, their priorities, then looking at ways that we can get them to commit to that action with all the suffering along the way. Oh, good. Someone's popping My, Yeah, like, he's, he's, I, getting like <laughs> he's getting like 50 notifications on his computer right now, and it's, it's a clusterfuck right now. I, like, I always mute it, and I don't know what's happening today. It's like something you couldn't <laughs> bypass. Like, we no My longer bad. saw your face for a moment there. Like <laughs> I, I already fixed it. My bad. Oh god. Oh, oh good. God. Did, did you did you get that last bit? I'll, I'll repeat. Otherwise, just the, like the last point. Please repeat. <laughs> <laughs> cool man. Uh, so what was I saying? Oh yeah, that's right. So the the ideas that we get to their whys mm -hmm. and get them towards some kind of action. So some committed action. Getting them to acknowledge that there's going to be a lot of suffering along the way. Mm -hmm. So it's never, you know, you go from point A straight away to point B in a linear, linear direction. There's always going to be ups and downs. There's always going to be flare ups. Yeah. 
there's always going to be anxiety as to, oh my God, am I going to make it? Am I going to achieve this? There's always going to be fear as well in the process. They're like getting into painful movements, provocative kind of um, loading if they are in pain. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be some doubt along the way. So there's always going to be the self-talk that kind of drives people back and gets them to doubt their, their ability to do it. So working with all of those doubts and knowing that it's, they're going to have some barriers along the way has been the a way that the mindset shift that ACT has, has taught me so far. I used to be like, oh, this person has, you know, an, an really unhelpful thought and belief and they've got so much fear. We need to address that. We need to fix that and correct that fear and correct that unhelpful belief, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Now we can work with that belief and expand around it. So expand into other skills with that belief versus me trying to fix something away that has been there since God knows when, since childhood. Forever. That's awesome. You're, ter- you're taking a weakness and essentially making it their empowerment. And, you know, so that, that's what I, I think is awesome. My question would be is, do you take that, let's say that fear of a specific movement and let's say they're, you don't address it directly, but do you put them in a move that's similar to that to once again, take their weakness and put it into an empowerment? Yeah, of course. So the whole concept of exposure therapy or graded exposure into a fearful movement or activity, even Mm -hmm. sometimes a fearful thought um, like cognition. Mm -hmm. So using finding out a starting point that they are willing to go to and then going from there in a graded fashion towards you know, their, their end activity, what they would be doing had they have, had they no fear or if fear wasn't an issue, what would they be doing? Mm-hmm. Finding out a, like a graded approach to get there. Absolutely. You mentioned a lot of comorbidities that come through your doors, like, you know, diabetes, fatty liver disease. And I've, I've never worked with anything close to that. And I'm just curious, what are some contraindications or some things that you had to learn or learn on the fly when working with these people? Yeah. So with, Diabetes, a few considerations would be their blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. So ensuring that they're monitoring for kind of hyper or hypoglycemia. We can use signs and symptoms. Um, We can have some emergency uh, jelly babies, if that's what you guys call it in the States. (laughs) Like lollies, candies. Um, So having a backup plan if they get to those stages and ensuring that they're keeping track of of their blood sugar levels. Um, For... For a few cardiac conditions, having blood pressure measurements mm-hmm. um, before and after, sometimes even during an exercise, is necessary. So those are the, the main kind of considerations when it comes to those conditions. I know it's quite scary sometimes if someone walks in and, and they have a condition that you've you know, never heard of or you haven't had the experience. Mm-hmm. So just, just finding out the major contraindications and then knowing that they are a human like everyone else and they have their own um, their own motivations, just like the clients we were talking about before mm-hmm. and finding out a way, a starting point for them. So we get people with diabetes that are fitter than all of us combined. Mm-hmm. Then we get people with diabetes that haven't, you know, lifted mm-hmm. themselves off the couch for years and years. So those two would have different considerations or both with the, the diabetes condition. I don't know why I did not ask you this before, but we've mentioned about the importance of motivational interviewing to know the why of 
clients in the rehab or coaching process. So what's your why? Like, why do you do what you're doing? Because it seems like you're doing a, like a great job and helping a lot of people. So why do you do what you do? You can do? tell the passion. Exactly, yeah. Thank you, thank you. You just fed my ego. That's my why. <laughs> no. Um, my, my why has kind of molded and adapted and changed over the past couple of years. Um, I think the, the values that I, that I live for and I practice for are instilling the, the self-efficacy, the belief that people can help themselves. So instilling that independence. So it's away from me as their authority figure as they need to depend on me. Um, that's like the main thing that I try and instill and I try and practice with. And I, it takes a bit of reflection as well because it feels really good when we have all the solutions and when we can kind of problem solve for someone. Now it's more along the lines of how can I guide someone to problem solve them for themselves? Yeah. That's like the kind of value that I try and live by. And then on top of that, I try to, in the grand scheme of things, uh, we are getting into increasing healthcare costs. We're looking at, if you look at the prevalence of chronic pain, it's increasing and our treatments are also increasing. So what's happening there? It's a bit of a discrepancy using motivational interviewing. Obviously what we're doing isn't working. So we need to change something. And I believe that change comes in building up resiliency, building up uh, better narratives, building up better skills for people to manage themselves and seek less healthcare rather than coming back and, Hey, I've got this new treatment or, Hey, I've got this really cool exercise. that's going to fix you. Um, which is the approach that a lot of people uh, tend to take. Yeah. And honestly, that's now that you mentioned that that's how I actually or personally think that exercise and resistance training works. It's not merely because you're getting your tissue stronger because we see strong people with pain all the time and quote unquote weak people without pain. So it's like, uh, exercise and strength training and all of this, like getting strong, like helps, but I don't think it's, it helps just of the, of the, just, uh, like of just because like it's getting people stronger, but merely because it's increasing self-efficacy, it's decreasing, uh, like fear to voice behavior and stuff like that. And like, what well, like your why, like it's huge because self-efficacy is king. Like, for everything, for the rehab process, for selling like lifestyle change, change your behaviors. Because if, like, if your client doesn't have self-efficacy, they're not, like they they're not going anywhere, right? Exactly. And unless they have a lot of money, they can get you to <laughs> hold their hand every single day with every single decision. You'd be rich, but <laughs> that what happen, happens right? if you can't help them one day? They're they're stuck. So yeah, exactly. Like you said, and and building on that point about resistance training looking at the biopsychosocial model, you can see how there is some biological advantages for, for yep. resistance training. So it's, it's quite a, a, health, a healthy thing to do. Then there's also yep. the, the psychological benefits. So they're feeling more confident. They're getting into positions and they're lifting some heavy ass weights that looks like, that make them look like a boss. They <laughs> feel great afterwards. Then there's the, the social element. They're in a situation now. They're surrounded by people practicing that behavior so it's multifactorial as with all things we'll find it's like it's like the recipe for success exactly it everything exactly. yeah we've, we've had a lot of uh, practitioners on here and they always at least the line that always comes out of their mouth at least once is you gotta accept the fact that you're not gonna help everybody there's gonna be that one person that walks through the door and they're not gonna want to be helped 
have you come across a certain person like that? Yeah. So generally they would be the ones kind of forced to, to be here, to be in, in my clinic or my, my gym. So I think, I think there's, there's two parts to that. The one part is expectations can be malleable and we can actually change someone's level of readiness. It's possible. I think having that hope um, and also on the other side, knowing that we, it's not our responsibility. So it's, we're not pressured to suddenly change everyone's worldview in one session. So I, I think that that pressure alleviated means that we can then guide them to where they're at. We can meet them where they are mm -hmm. as soon as they step in. And then, I, and then I'm curious and I wonder if we can pre-frame our environment, our promoting, our marketing, our, you know, as soon as they step into the door, how friendly is the receptionist? How friendly mm -hmm. are we? How much mm -hmm. do we create that environment that gets them to facilitate that change that they need? And I, yeah, so having a bit of optimism that knowing that they can actually go from pre-contemplation, not mm -hmm. being ready into hmm, contemplation. Like this made me curious. I'm, <laughs> I, I really like this community or I really like this gym or I really want to like lift really heavy because I saw someone doing a, you know, a clean and jerk with lots of weights and they, they look like me and I can relate to that. So mm -hmm. knowing that they can be changed from not being ready to considering being ready is, is really helpful. I mean, you said that that's it's a great point where, you know, you walk in and you see somebody that you would basically say, Hey, that looks just like me. And they're doing something that you can't do. That's, that's almost like it shatters the glass ceiling and it, it, there's no reason why I cannot do this. And that's, that's huge. You know, you always talk about your product of your environment, but from a business aspect, are you setting up the proper environment, which is exactly. big. So exactly. like, that's a light bulb yeah. moment for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll send the invoice to, from a mentor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's some of the things that we don't really take into consideration. So the whole picture whole environment how you know if we look at social psychology how influenced we are by those around us mm -hmm. and looking at vicarious learning how can we create that environment and, and find role models that are similar to us so for instance if you get you know someone who's never lifted before they're sedentary they're they're living in a bigger body they come in and see you know all these shredded ripped motherfuckers in in some kind of bodybuilding mecca and they're like they're not going <laughs> to <laughs> They're not going to relate yeah. to that at all. So yep. then maybe if you're in that gym, what could you do? Could mm -hmm. you see them in a park just ne next door? Could you see them in a, in a coffee shop or a cafe to have that initial interaction so they know that they're safe and they feel a lot more comfortable because yeah. it's, it's more an environment that they can express themselves and feel safe in, less threatened. So there's many, I think there's many ways around it. And for business owners, they can take a step back and look at what kind of clientele they want for the first part. And how can they facilitate that behavior change from getting them to where they are to mm -hmm. where they want to be? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that like you're a mentor to many people and I'm just curious. It's kind of like the whole debate, like where does the, the barber get his haircut? So where does the mentor get his mentoring? Absolutely. I think if you look at the best coaches in every field, they have coaches. Mm -hmm. So I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of people, um, being a, a self-professed course junkie, I've taken mm -hmm. all the kind of major courses. So off the top of my head, Meekins, Greg Lehman, mm -hmm. Ben Cormack, um, people in, in my company, so Brendan Mowat and Luke Postlethwaite, I've took their courses. Um, 
a shit ton of motivational interviewing, Russ Harris for ACT, so all these kind of people that I've looked up to and I've learned from and I've kind of um, immersed myself in their methodologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I would consider my own coaches, my own mentors in their respective fields. So I'm really lucky to be able to, to reach out to a specialist in, in one area that knows more than me in, in, in a particular field of study and then and have that kind of network, my own network of, of, of coaches. Because it's like, you, like being around people who are smarter than you is, is, is the ideal for success, right? Oh yeah, 100%. I love Meekins, you know, like, you know, you have all these people like going into the rabbit hole, of, like what's going on in the shoulders, like, oh, it's called shit, something hurts in the shoulders, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and he's just like, I put it into two categories. One of them, does it look sloppy? And it's just, like, so he just makes things very simple. And yep. it's just like, why am I making this so complicated? You know? <laughs> it's a sign of intelligence as well. If you can simplify something so, so complex, like the most complex joint uh, in the body. So yeah. I, I think his uh, approach is not rubbed the right way for many people, but <laughs> yeah. but definitely respect his his message. But he's super smart. Oh yeah, absolutely. He'll he'll uh, we should get a bit of a advertisement from from him. <laughs> <laughs> we should, right? <laughs> My last question would be, and it's purely just for fun because I think I already know the answer. But what's your views on manual therapy? Why do you know the answer? Because. <laughs> <laughs> Now, of course, I, so being an exercise physiologist, I think I need to take, I need to take a step back and know that my profession is kind of fused with the idea of active therapy. So I think I need to preframe this as saying we should be just as critical of exercise as we are of manual therapy. Now people are starting yep. to listen to me. So yep. what we do is rather than me just like, you know, blurt out that manual therapy is shit, manual therapy sucks, the Meekins way. I think we need to look at the context. So we need to look at if we're talking about self-efficacy, we can give an exercise active approach and that could just be telling them what to do. It could be leading them down a wrong pathway. It could be telling them that they need to switch on certain muscles or that certain muscles are weak. That kind of reduces their ability to control their situation because they walk out of the clinic and they're like, oh shit, I'm, I need to turn on my core every time because mm-hmm. it's so weak and that's why I have pain. At the same time, manual therapy can tend to lead to that dependence. And I think that's the main thing that I would kind of, that is part of my stance when it comes to any intervention. How much dependence do you kind of create versus mm-hmm. how many opportunities do you create for them to explore themselves to be curious to try and, and experiment with that intervention themselves so if i think this is the great part about telehealth we're forced now yep. for people to do things for themselves in their own environment so at home we we can't do you know we can't have even hands-on coaching mm-hmm. we can't do specific cues every single yep. time they move so i think uh i'm, I'm going around your 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 question here i think the, <laughs> the main theme is it depends on how much independence that we can instill in people. So what do they leave with? What do they tell their friends? Do they tell their friends, oh, I've been fixed. I've been just cracked back into place and it was awesome. You should see this guy. Or do they come out and be like, oh, they released my specific muscle and it felt great and all my problems were fixed. Or do they go, oh, I needed my cues. I like, they knew exactly what to do. They knew exactly how to coach me like all of those build a bit of dependence mm-hmm. in various levels 
So yep. finding out what you can do to leave them with all the tools that they need. So they tell their friends, oh, it was awesome. They just coached me to it. I, it, it was actually amazing. I, I knew what to do. They just, they just helped me. They guided me to that process. And here's what, they, here's what they told me. So they share that with their friends and they become their own coaches. And hopefully that leads to less healthcare. Yeah. Yep. Like yeah. it's all about number one, setting the right expectations. And you do that by using the right narratives, right? Because like, I loved how you mentioned about mental therapy and you mentioned also exercise, because for example, a lot of people bash on mental therapy, but if you use mental therapy with the right narratives, you can get better results with that rather than if you use exercise with the wrong narratives. So it's all about exactly. setting up expectations and narratives. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, the main thing. And the, also finding out the narrative that they walk away with. So I think we can be quick to be like, I've, you know, I did all the whole neuromodulation thing, the whole, it's just the nervous system. It's just a temporary window of opportunity. And they come out and they're like, what did they do to me? They didn't, they didn't listen to what you were saying because we only take in like 10% of the, yeah. of the conversation generally. Um, so, oh, they, they poked me, they needled me and they like, they did some exercise. Okay, cool. So that's what I need next time then. Right. Mm -hmm. So next time I have this problem, oh shit, I need to go back and get that, that process again. So they're kind of learning that behavior in the long term or ah oh shit i need to before i get this new program i've got a new goal i, I want to instead of losing weight i want to gain muscle shit what do i do i need to go back and you didn't give them the tools that they need to be like oh what resources can i seek out and oh now i'm stuck and now i'm getting some barriers now i can come back to to the professional versus mm -hmm. having to restart the entire cycle with a, whenever there's a new problem or new activity So this is not saying that, you know, you should never see anyone ever again. This is saying that the tools that you give them should be for, for anything, for life, for building yep. that resilience so they can reach out and be independent afterwards, regardless of yep. the pain that they experience or the goals that change in the future. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I guess my final question is, you already alluded to it earlier, but I just wanted to hear a little bit more about it is, How is your telehealth going in the sense of those kids running around in the background and the, the kids are trying to work out or the, the mom or dad trying to work out? What's going on there? The best kind of weights are kids. So I mean, using, <laughs> using the environment as much as possible, I think the first thing would be the ACT principle. Acknowledge, accept that it's not the same. It's mm -hmm. the, acknowledge also the emotions that are going through during this time. It's, there's lots of loss, sense of grief. There's a lot of anxiety that we don't know anything. We have a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the future, mm -hmm. taking that into consideration and knowing that it's, it's like a home visit. So you're in that kind of environment that they're going to be exercising in anyway. Mm -hmm. So you can have the skills and knowledge and power to be like, Oh, that's a chair. That's a box for box squats. Right. Oh, that's, you know, that's a wall for wall squats. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I have no equipment. Are you, do you have a floor? Yeah. You have perfect <laughs> ample amount of space. Yeah. Amazing. So we can, there's a lot of things that we can use with that environment. And I think that's, that's the main advantage plus saves on the travel time and it's the best safest option mm -hmm. time to adapt. So it's been, yep. it's been, it's been up and down for sure. There's been a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. I think in, in the, in the long run, we have a lot of opportunity now to act as the coach and to practice all the communication skills 
motivational interviewing concepts right now to help people? I think that, I mean, this is kind of stepping outside of the, the subject, but it kind of connects. But the idea of being forced outside the gym is forcing coaches to absolutely see their weaknesses. I mean, I saw my Achilles heel or tendon when I, uh, when I, when, when I was like, all right, so what am I supposed to do? I have a kettlebell and I have suspension trainer. I wound up doing the same exercises back to back, back to back. I was like, I am not creative. I have to, you know, I have to sit back and think about this. And, and like I said, it's, it's making me think more about what I can do with less. And so when I get more clients under my belt, I can utilize what I went through. Exactly. Exactly. And some clients might travel in the future when all the gyms are back anyway. So they'll Mm -hmm. have a shitty hotel gym or, you know, a park. So now Mm -hmm. we have the skills and the experience to be like, yeah, it's fine. You'll, you'll maintain your gains. If not gain a few new skills and have some fun. Exactly. And gamifying is another way of building self-efficacy in a fun way. Right. You know, like I don't want to do this. Well, what if it was a game? Oh, maybe I will do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Making some enjoyment out of a shitty situation. (laughs) I want to thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. This is awesome. Cool. I appreciate it. I think think having more of these discussions will be helpful for for not only us to kind of talk shop and pick each other's brains, because I know you guys are are smart and well-versed, but also for the listeners to be like, oh, there's so many things I hadn't considered because this is not, you know, mainstream. It's quite a different paradigm shift to the whole you know, the, the, the useful stuff, the, you know, the mechanistic way of, okay, this is how you get, um, this is how you improve this fitness component, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. this is how you can treat pain. It's like looking at step back and be like, people kind of, it's all, there's a lot of behavior change in mm-hmm. here. How can mm-hmm. we facilitate that with all the knowledge that we have? Exactly. Where can everyone find you? Yeah. So Facebook is where I'm at for too much of my time. I feel. <laughs> Arbilla, that's my surname, A-R-B-I-L-L-A, exercise physiology. I'm also at the Knowledge Exchange. So if you're a clinician, fitness trainer, looking for a bit more information about pain and, and all these topics that we talked about, hit up the Knowledge Exchange on Facebook. Um, we also have a website, tkex.org. Those would be my my main go-tos. Yeah, I'll, I'll hyperlink that to the show notes so everyone can find you. 